Let's pray. There is none like you. You are God alone. There is none like you. You are the only one. It's just you. Today we recognize no one else can do the things that you do. No one else can take what it takes to hang on that cross. And certainly no one else can take what it takes to rise from the dead. Only you. So today, God, we don't have ears for all of our random thoughts and we don't have the, uh, the attention for just the things we're doing with family after church. Today, we are all about tuning in to you and hearing from you because you are the one, God, who blows our minds. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. This time of year, um, both in the fall and the spring, when the weather changes, I always start thinking about soccer because I played soccer for years since I was my kid's age. Evan, you know, a tiny little kid, I played soccer. And all the way up through college playing soccer, there was uh, there's some, this one thing that always kind of made me laugh about soccer. There was usually a guy who was a striker or a center midfielder who had incredible game, made heads turn with his game. You know, he had great footwork. He knew the game. It's kind of flashy, fast, in great shape. And, and he was a goal scorer. But the funny thing is, is it wasn't always that guy who was putting it in the back of the net. There were these other guys. And these guys were, they were a little more unassuming. And so the defense didn't always catch him. You know, they kind of snuck in there. And all eyes are on this other guy. And yet somehow these guys had a knack for one very special thing. You know what it was? They were in the right place at the right time. All the time. They were always at the right place at the right time. And what it meant was someone would take a shot and it would deflect off of a goalie or it would deflect off of a post and these guys would be right there to finish it. They'd be right there to put it in. Or like a cross would come across the goal box and one of the guys would jump up to head it, he would miss it, and it would come across and this guy's standing right at the back post, tink, and it goes in. Or when that guy's getting double teamed down at the corner and everyone's on him and he turns around and he's holding these guys off and here comes one of these guys making a run from the 18 and he passes it to him, boom, and it's in. They were always at the right place at the right time. And it always boggled my mind how these guys who weren't the most skilled guys ended up at the end of the season with all these goals. But you can't argue with the statistics. You know, they got it done. They got the job done and it was awesome. You just love those guys. They're goal seekers. They had, a net, they had a nose for the net, you know? They just are hanging around. They don't know what they're going to find, but they want the scraps, and they want to be able to put it in. We called them cherry pickers. You know, they're the cherry pickers. And uh, in the kingdom of God, there's God seekers, spiritual cherry pickers, who happen to be in the right place at the right time in order to catch God at work. And they're there, and they, and they notice when God's doing stuff. You know, the thing is, is that there's game-changing leaders in the church. There's these people who, when they walk in the room, you just know, like, wow, that's a person packing faith, you know? And uh, there's a lot going on. They're, they got some heat going. And, there's, and they're people who, they've done a lot of great things for the kingdom. And you, and you just notice that when they're around, man, stuff's working, and they're game-changers. But then, there's the people who have a scent for God. Who just, they want to be there when God's doing something. And they may not be the one who people's heads turn and notice with their faith, but they're the ones who catch God in a moment of working. Easter morning 
has a few ladies who are totally spiritual cherry pickers. Man, these ladies, they're God seekers, and they capture God at a spectacular moment. They, they're the ones who get to see him first. Trout season just opened, as uh, Judy reminded us of with her fishing rod. And you know how uh, there's, there's people who are obsessed with fishing and obsessed with trout season, and they know exactly where their spot is on the creek. And they will get up at some completely ungodly hour of the morning in order to go find their spot at the creek, in order that, like, this is their zone, and when it's time, they're going to be the first one to cast their rod to get that trout, you know, to nail that trout. Well, this is how these ladies are. Listen, Luke 24 is our passage for today. And listen to how they deal in this situation on Easter morning. <clears throat> the beginning of the chapter. On the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week? Sunday. They're about to go see, visit the tomb for the first time. When did Jesus die? What day? Friday. So Friday, good Friday, he died. And then there was Saturday and then Sunday. Why is it that they aren't coming to the tomb until Sunday? Sabbath. They're not allowed to. They're not allowed to. It's against the law, okay? So they're not allowed to go deal with Jesus on the Sabbath. Now, on the first day of the week, Sunday, very early in the morning. If I were to say to you, early in the morning, my kids got up early in the morning. We had to get up early this morning. And if we want to beat our and Jen and I, if we want to beat our kids up, uh, not beat them up. That sounds terrible. <laughs> well, if, if, um, if, if we want to beat Evan up, <laughs> if we want to wake up before Evan does, our oldest, we have to be up very early. Now, if I say to you very early, what does that mean to you? Five, six, five, six is what people in first service said, what you guys said. Five, six, very early in the morning. No, that's early in the morning. Now, if I say very early in the morning, yeah, 1, 3.30. This is like, no, it was very early in the morning. And that's what's going on with these ladies. They beat all the trout fishermen this morning. Very early in the morning, as soon as they were allowed to, as soon as they could, they took off to the tomb. Now, what motivated these women to be there that early? Were they suspecting that Jesus might have risen from the dead? Is that what's going on? They don't have a clue, do they? Which is amazing. Doesn't that just boggle your mind sometimes? Because Jesus, how many times did Jesus tell his followers, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day I'm going to rise from the dead. He tells them over and over again, and yet none of them get it. And it even tells us, every time when he says it, it says that they didn't get it. But they didn't understand. And to us, it's like, you guys are numb. Like, how in the world did you not get this? And yet, think about it for a second. Jesus... When he talks to his people, he's always talking in these like riddles and rhymes, in these parables, right? He's talking in this language. Like, remember what Jesus said? He said this nasty statement. If you want to come and follow me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. When he said that, there's a mass exodus of his followers. There was. It says a bunch of people left him because they were like, you're a cult leader and a nut job. We're out, you know? And so they left. Jesus speaks in these terms that people don't understand. He's always telling these stories. And then in Matthew 13, the disciples ask him. They're like, why do you always talk in parables? And he's like, because people who have a heart will understand. People who have a heart to understand me, they'll get it. But those who don't, 
They won't get it, and it's okay, because that's the way it's supposed to be. I don't want to just throw them the information if they're not going to do anything with it anyway. So I tell it in this kind of sneaky way. And then he's like, blessed are you guys, because you're the ones who understand. But then he has to go on and explain it to them anyway. (laughs) It's just hilarious. It's hilarious. But he always spoke in these metaphors, you know? And so you can understand why when they would hear Jesus say, I'm going to die and raise again on the third day, they had no frame of reference for that. And so they're thinking, this guy's speaking in some sort of metaphor. And I don't really understand it, so they just kind of let it go. What's more is, is one day with Jesus is, is just mind-boggling for these people. Ha- any of you ever listened to a message or read something or whatever where you've seen things a certain way your whole life, and then all of a sudden you hear this thing or experience this thing, and everything just goes, and you're like, oh my God, I never saw it like that. And it's like a different lens all of a sudden by which you see everything. You know, Every moment with Jesus did this. Jesus was with them teaching for three years. On the Sermon on the Mount, he took things that they had believed for thousands of generations, or thousands of years, for generation upon generation, and he just flipped them on their head. In one sermon, day in, day out, their minds are absolutely puzzled and boggled by all the stuff that he's doing. You can imagine they're just reeling from all the information that he's given them. To see a few of those things slip through the cracks, you better believe it. There's no way they can hang on to it all. To try to remember all of that is just brutal. And so this one that they thought was a metaphor and that slipped through the cracks, but seriously, guys, he said he was going to die and rise again. How are you going to let that one slip through your mind? Well, those of you who have kids know what I'm talking about when you say sometimes things go in one ear and out the other. And if you give kids a list of things like, this is what has to be done. Did you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I heard you. And it's gone, right? Which things are the things that are gone? The things that A, they don't care about, and B, they don't want to hear, right? They're the things that don't have a place in the filing cabinet where they fit. And so they just kind of go in one ear and out the other. What did the disciples not want to hear? That Jesus was dying, you know? They were like, for the glory of the kingdom, let's go. You know, we're going to sit on thrones with God and we're going to overthrow the Romans and you're going to die? That doesn't really fit in my paradigm. Gone, you know? And it doesn't really fit. And so they had this idea of who Jesus was and when he said something that didn't fit, it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. The truth is, is that these ladies had absolutely not one blessed clue that when they showed up on this morning that he was going to be resurrected. Not one clue. Or did they? Why were they there so early? Why in the world at that hour of the morning did they have to be there? I mean, the guy's dead. He's not going anywhere. Why did they have to be there? Yeah, they have spices they're going to give to him, but that can wait. I mean, why do you have to go? Why not wait an hour or two to go take care of that? It's not like he's going anywhere. The truth is, is that they desperately needed to be near Jesus. And it didn't matter if he was dead and there was just a body there. You see, he had turned their lives upside down. And they had never felt anything like they had felt when they were with him. And the truth that he brought to the table, they knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was legit, that there was something going on with this man. 
Their minds were completely puzzled. And they had no clue what was happening right now. They couldn't understand it. They had no explanation. They were like, why in the world, how could he have died? They didn't get it. How in the world could he have died? Their minds have no inkling that he's going to rise from the dead. And yet somewhere inside of their hearts, in their spirits, they didn't give up hope. See, the truth is, is even though their minds couldn't fathom the resurrection, their spirits still believed in Jesus. And they just needed to be near Him. And so, their hearts and their spirits drew them early in the morning to be with Jesus. Because where else are they going to go? This is the one who had changed their lives forever. And so they get close. And when they get close, they get to see something. The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Try to imagine it for a second. Honestly, just try to imagine it for a second completely heartbroken, grief-stricken, not knowing what to do, but still having to be close. And they get there, and the only reason they're there is, is to, to be close to Him and to do everything they can to take care of this body appropriately. And when they get there, the stone is open. They're the first ones there. How could the stone be open? How could anyone have beat us here? We're the first ones here. The stone's open. They walk inside. There's cloths lying around. And they don't see Jesus. It says, while they were wondering about this, <laughs> you just picture them, like totally, like just blank face, jaw open, like kind of looking at each other, like what is going on? Scratching the head, like what is happening? God has a way of making us wonder, doesn't he? He just has a way of like doing something in our minds that blows us away. He has a way of, of taking things that we thought were this way and all of a sudden, wait a minute, I don't completely get what's going on. You see, these ladies, they knew that about Jesus. They knew it as good or better than anybody else. They had hung out with Jesus when he was teaching. And when Jesus taught, their minds spun. When Jesus interacted with people, he did things like he went to the Samaritan woman at the well where no one else would talk to her. And all of a sudden, he goes and chooses to hang out with her. And everyone wonders, what are you doing? Jesus calls people whose arms are shriveled up and he pulls out their arm and makes it whole again. Talk about making us Wonder. They had seen the wonders of Jesus. They knew that when their hearts felt a certain way, it's because Jesus was around. This should have been their first clue. It shouldn't have been just that the tomb was open and that the cloths were lying around. It's when they felt a sense of wonder. When they were like, what is going on? It should have said, that is the feeling I have when I'm around Jesus. Every time I'm around Jesus, he makes me scratch my head and say, what in the world? Everything that I thought I understood, and now all of a sudden I'm questioning it. 
I don't understand. That's what happens when we get close to Jesus. He makes us wonder. Watch what happens. So as they were wondering, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in claws that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Gleamed like lightning. Gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down on their faces to the ground. No doubt. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. And then the three words that change history forever. The three words that bring us here today. The three words that we celebrate. The three words that have us singing. The three words that give us hope and give us life. He is risen. He is risen. Say it with me. He is risen. One more time. He is risen. Amazing words. What happens inside of them when they hear those words, He is risen? And listen, the angel goes on. Remember how He told you while He was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Verse 8. Then they remembered His words. I love it. You know how it goes in one ear and out the other? There's days when I come up here to preach and you all are like, you know, <laughs> it's all right. Just take it like a champ. That's true. You know, there are days, there are days when you're sitting in a Sunday school class and you're out way too late, uh, way, you're up way too late the night before and you're just sitting there like, I'm trying real hard to get it, but I can't get it. There are days when we go and we open the scriptures and it's early and we have a long day ahead of us and we're trying to read them and we're, we're doing caffeine shots to stay awake, you know, but we still can't quite engage the word of God. There are these moments when we don't think it's sticking. The truth is, is don't ever give up on reading this thing. Don't ever give up on listening to the teachings because Jesus when he was leaving his disciples, he said, I'm going to send one to you who's going to do something special for you. Do you remember what he said the Holy Spirit would do? He would remind them of all the things that he told them. I was telling the guys in our Bible study this week, one of the things that I have written all over my journal, probably the word that I have written in my journal the most, other than the word sorry, is the, the, the word remember. God, help me to remember because there's so much stuff that he blesses us with, but it's so hard to hold on to it all. But what he promises us is that the Holy Spirit will be with us to call back to memory the things that he has spoken to us. And so even though it seems like we're not missing, we're not getting it, our Sunday school teachers who labor with our kids, you know, even though at times it seems like the kids aren't getting it, there's something going on. It's registering somewhere back there. These people had it wet, not on their frontal lobe, but somewhere way in the back. And when the angel shows up and the moment happens and their spirits awaken, it goes all the way into the back of their brain and it illuminates this one spot where their brain had registered it. And it pulls it back and it brings it to their frontal lobe and it says, remember when Jesus did this? And they're like, oh my gosh. He fulfilled his word. I can't believe I missed it. There it was. Never stop digging into the word. All right, moving on. Verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, 
She's a God seeker. Joanna, she's a spiritual cherry picker. Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Now, in the soccer analogy, who are the apostles? They're the all-stars, right? They're the goal scorers. They're the ones who heal people, who end up raising people from the dead, who do all sorts of crazy things. They're the game changers. They're the go-to guys. They're the ones who make the heads turn. And yet, listen to what happens. They told them, but in verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. The apostles. Who should believe more than the apostles? If anyone should believe, this is the, 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 his crew, his posse, the people he hung out with, you know? This is his boys. And when the word comes to them, they think it's nonsense. Why? Why do they think it's nonsense? Because they weren't there. They weren't hanging around the net. They weren't the ones close enough to see the opportunity. See, there was a play that was being run, and they thought that the play fell apart, game's over, no way this thing's working. But here were these ladies who were standing around the net, and even though the whole play went south, the ball bounced off the post, and there they are ready to finish. But these guys had already given up, game over, it's not working. The play didn't work. And so the ladies come back and they say, you won't believe it. We just saw angels. We went to the tomb, it's empty. There's no one there. They said he's risen. And the apostles don't get it. Have you ever had an, an experience where you went and heard some amazing teaching? Or you went off to a missions trip or to a camp and you had this great experience with God or you had this interaction where God just did something spectacular in your life and then you go and you try to share it with someone else and they're like, that's nice, you know? Yeah. And you're like, are you kidding me? Like God just showed up, you know? Or, or maybe you've been on the other end of it where someone's come to you and they're like, you won't believe what God did for me. It's unbelievable. And you're like, you want to like, be happy with them, but like you're not feeling it, you know? So you're like, yeah, that's, that's nice, you know? Because your spirit's not really engaged. It's not awakened. It's not alive in that moment. And it can't transfer. You know why? Because one person was hanging around the net and was close and could feel it and could see the stones empty. There's claws here, there's angels here, and it blew their mind. The other people are hearing this story, and they don't actually believe it's just a story. It seems like nonsense. Did the apostles have faith? Better believe they were men of faith. But in this moment, they couldn't muster up the faith, because they weren't hanging around the net. They weren't close to the tomb. They were back, hanging out in the house, moping. If we want to see God, you got to be close. You have to pursue Him. You have to be close. You cannot take God. You need to hear me on this one. You cannot take God. You cannot take the theology about God and try to understand it and put together the different points of the truth of the Gospel and expect it to be true. You've got to hear me on this one. The only way that you will experience and believe the depths of Jesus is if you're actually going after Him with your heart. Just trying to understand Him 
just trying to take the truth and make it make sense to us and have it do something inside of us, it won't work. You've got to be going after Him. If you're going after Him, then you start to see and feel what's the, the mystery of it all. But if you stand at a distance, and here's the Christian thing, and here's the God thing, all right, I get it, you know, and it doesn't do anything to us. And if you can make it all make sense to me and everything, oh, okay, that's cool, all right, it seems to work. But it's the people who engage heart and soul and get close to God, and as they're hanging out next to Him, they feel, oh my gosh, this went weird, and that, what's this about? And all of a sudden, He becomes alive. You have to be close. You have to be close if you're going to feel the wonder of Jesus. When's the last time? Well, I, I won't even go there yet. Verse 12. This is an amazing moment. Amazing moment. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. You've got to love Peter. All the other guys are like, it seems like nonsense. Peter, he's the one who steps out of the boat first to walk on water. He's also the one who sinks first. You know, He's the one who was the first one who says, you're Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is like, you're Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. And then he's the one who in the next sentence is like, oh, you don't have to die, Jesus. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. You know, he's the one who's like the first one out, the first one saying it, and the first one to take that big old foot and stick it right in his mouth. You know, this is Peter. He's the one who makes the jump. And what we know about Peter, <laughs> sorry, Amy, that just grossed you out pretty bad, thinking about a foot in the mouth, huh? <laughs> it's a nice visual. Everybody can picture a foot in a mouth right now. Okay. <laughs> Where was I? Anyway, Peter, what we know about Peter right now is that he's completely depressed. He's at a really bad spot with God. He's not at a good spot with God. When he encounters Jesus again, he's completely ashamed. He blew it on epic levels. Remember, just two days before, he felt like he was the one who was going to rescue Jesus from death. And so he cut off a guy's ear, and Jesus rebuked him. He lied about knowing Jesus in order to stay close so he could do the covert rescue, you know? And all of it, he realizes that he's blown it. Jesus told him that he would lie and deny him, and he did. And now he just feels like the biggest failure of all time, and he's completely ashamed. And he knows that if... He, he doesn't think he's ever going to see Jesus again. He doesn't know anything about the resurrection. But when he does see Jesus again, he's completely ashamed. And yet even in this moment of despair, the sliver of hope that Jesus was alive, and no one else believes, and they all think it's nonsense, but Peter's heart is so drawn to Jesus that he doesn't even care. I don't care what any of my boys think. I don't care. I'm getting off my feet and I'm running to the tomb and I'm checking it out for myself. And you can say it's nonsense. And you can say it doesn't make sense to me, to you. But the truth is, is I'm going to go and get close enough to figure out for myself. And so he runs. And when he gets there, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away. What's it say? Wondering. The wonder of God. He got close enough. 
And all of a sudden, he started to wonder. He is the God of wonders. And if we are not wondering today, it is because we're not close enough. The resurrection day is a day that beckons us. It calls us out to believe, to have faith, to trust on levels that we didn't think were possible. It calls us to believe not just that there's some story back there about a man who rose from the dead, but to feel it on levels like there was actually this guy who got put into a tomb. They saw the blood run out of his side. They felt his cold skin and there was no pulse there. His body went gray. They wrapped him up and they sealed the tomb. And three days later, after sitting there on the third day, his body got warm again and breath came out of his nostrils. And his eyes opened up and he came out of the tomb and the earth shook. And it's not a story in a Bible. It's a historical fact. The only thing that's keeping us from believing it is us. It beckons us to believe. And it doesn't stop with a historical belief, a belief in a historical event. It beckons us to faith. Listen to what, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians as he's praying for, for those who he loves in Ephesus. He says this to him, starting in verse 17 of chapter 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart, notice the heart, the same thing that drew those women to the tomb, it wasn't the mind. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Now listen in. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who dwells in every way. The truth is, is that the power that raised Jesus from the dead on that day is that power real today? He rose and walked out of the grave. What happened to him after that? Is he still alive today? Is his presence every bit as real and is his power every bit as tangible today as it was on that day? Should we wonder today the way that they wondered on that day? It should blow our minds that the power of God is here and is available. That everything that we see with our fleshly eyes looks one way, and yet it beckons us today, the resurrection, to say there's a world that we don't see, and it's real, and it's here. Will we believe? Today is the day that God says, I've shown you everything I can show you. 
you got to believe. Believe. Have faith. And it doesn't just stop with belief and faith. It goes to trust. Because belief about what happened is one thing. Faith that it's a reality here is another thing. But trust is when we choose to do something with that information. See, trust is when I know that I'm supposed to do this thing, spend this time with God, but my calendar is packed wall to wall. And there is not one blessed thing that I can fit more into my calendar. And yet I'm going to choose to take to sacrifice anything else in my calendar to spend time with God because I believe that when it looks like a dead end, when it looks like there's no possible way, Jesus rises from the dead so we can certainly take care of my stupid little schedule. It's when I know that I should be given to something, but I'm out of work. My budget's killing me right now. I don't know what to do. And yet he calls and puts that thing on our heart that says, I got you. Trust me. I rose from the dead. If I can rise from the dead, tell me the hopeless situation that you have that makes it so you can't do what I told you to do. What situation do you have that he can't rise above? Will we trust him? Is his faith, is his power available to us? Do we believe that it's there? And do we walk in obedience and trust that he will show up. It beckons us today. Any true follower of Jesus, any true follower of Jesus will find themselves often wondering, not getting it, saying, what is going on right now? What is he up to? The Apostle John is one of the greatest examples of this. He walked with this guy. He walked with Jesus for Three years, one of his closest friends. Matt, I'm going to read Revelation 1, if you can pull that up. He walks with Jesus for three years. He becomes his closest friend. Many think that he's Jesus' absolute closest friend. He knows everything about him. They interact. Everything's wonderful. You know, Jesus dies. He rises from the dead. He's the beloved disciple. Years later, Jesus... John is on the island of Patmos out in Greece and he has this vision where he's caught up with God. We call that the book of Revelation. He writes the book of Revelation about his vision. John encounters Jesus again. Watch what happens. We're going to start in chapter, in chapter 1 of Revelation in verse 12. This is where we're ending. You can stand up with me as we read it. Starting in verse 12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Are you picturing this? hair and a face white as snow, and eyes like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, 
he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is the Apostle Paul, I mean the Apostle John, closest friend of Jesus, but he had never seen Jesus like this before. He had never seen this side of Jesus. He had seen a Jesus who walked in flesh and apparently wasn't even all that appealing looking. And now, all of a sudden, this one standing in front of him has eyes that are made of fire and has a face that's like the sun. And there's a sword coming out of his mouth and when he speaks, it sounds like Niagara Falls. He's in wonder. He's boggled. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When's the last time that you were close enough to God that you got a different angle on him and you began to wonder and you were like, I thought I understood God. But I realize that what I understood was only this much and that he's so much more than I thought. When's the last time that we were that close that we began to actually wonder? Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and of Hades. What do you have to be afraid of, John? I rose from the dead. I got you. I just want to ask us one question to end this thing. Are you a spiritual cherry picker? Are you a God seeker? Do you want to experience God and know Him closely? He's still every bit as wonderful and amazing. The facets of Him are unending. But if we want to be held in wonder, we've got to be close enough to feel confused. If today we're here and we're not confused, it all just makes sense to us and, you know, yep, it's Easter, you know. He rose from the dead. We're going to do the family thing. You know, and we're going to get our Easter eggs and we're going to remember that Jesus rose from the dead and it's really cool. We're not wondering. We're not close enough. We're like the apostles sitting back in the room. But if today we're like, you've got to be kidding me. He rose from the dead? You've got to be kidding me. He can do this stuff in my life today? You've got to be kidding me. The God who I thought was just this, He's all of this? Then we're hanging around the net. When that ball bounces off, we're going to be there and see something special. He can still win the game that we thought was lost in our life. He can still turn that person around who we love. He can still provide that thing that we need. He can still hook it up in ways that we didn't think He could. But we've got to be close to feel it. I wonder, I wonder what He has in store for your life today. I wonder what he's up to. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you and praise you for the day where our paradigms are blown apart. We trust you to continue to be the marvelous one. Your mercies are new every day. We also continue to trust you to bring it to us. Our prayer and our hope is that you help, that your Holy Spirit would bring to memory the things that we've learned, 
and that you would draw us like you drew those women to yourself, that our hearts would yearn for you. I pray for each and every person in this room right now, God, that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they would know the riches of the glorious inheritance that you have for your saints, that they would know the power that is available to each one of us, the power that you exerted on this day of resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.